Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is September 29th, 2014. This is episode 97. 97. Oh, that was the last time the Orioles clinched the uh, division. Uh, I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my color commentator, my big boy, my playoff-bound co-host. Lefty. Lefty, yeah. Uh, Jake English. For those of us that are listening tonight, you should probably be finding us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You could also be finding us on Baltimore Sports Report on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also be checking us out on various third-party applications such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and I guess iTunes. But personally, I prefer Stitcher. Check us out on social media at facebook.com. You can also check us out on Google+. But the best place to find us is on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. Um. You know, Jake, we normally would do post-game lives, but, you know, that's really not happening right now because, hey, it's the end of the season and we're in post-game season. Uh, po- yeah, we're in the postseason. So, You know, I have never been more glad for the season to be over than I than I have been. I, I've just been waiting and waiting and waiting for it, and not just because I'm 2003? Ang- not just because I'm angry at the Orioles. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, we're entering into some magical times for Baltimore Orioles fans. Um, I know I'm excited, Jake. I know you're excited. Uh, you've got an orange bow tie on. I'm a little turned on. Wearing an orange bow tie. Jake, um, let's go to the drink of the week. All right. I have a very fancy beverage this evening. It comes out of a light blue can. This is a collector's edition Bud Light. Swill. I hope you're going to class it up a little bit and go to more of a Baltimore slash orange beverage for uh, the playoffs this week. How dare you, sir? Of course I will. Okay. Jake. Nothing nothing like winking Russian men. Yeah, okay. Jake, I'm going with the Whoa Nelly cocktail. I'm going with my gin triple second orange juice cocktail that I created. And I would mock you, but it was really yummy. Yes. So, Jake, with that, let's go to the twat. Okay, here's a tweet from Baltimore Dave S., who's, again, a member of BSR. He, he tweets as follows. I'm just going to turn off 105.7 and attempt to forget all the stupid callers I've heard. Look, we keep saying this. Listen to podcasts turn off your radio all you're going to hear is dave from salisbury call in listen to podcasts because if you're going to listen to senseless morons you should be listening to us look the radio is like a train okay never trust a form of public transportation that gives access to the brakes to the general public don't do it jake our next tweet comes from last thursday night and it was from at yankees and it's in the past 24 hours Derek Jeter was mentioned more than 740,000 times on Twitter. Hashtag farewell captain. And only 500,000 times of those were by MLB. And the rest by MLB Fan Cave. Yes. Next, we have something from uh, Megan, at Asian Megan. Okay, well, at least we don't have to hear that annoying-ass whistle for another eight months. Thank you. I hate that thing. Nothing says class more than mocking your opponent. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, Jake next week comes from Danny Baxter and people can follow him at it's about Dan time. And it's three years since the curse of the Andino nine 2011 will forever be the greatest night in baseball history. Three years later, AL East champs. Nice. Nothing like a little history. I like what he did with his Twitter handle, by the way. Yes. I, I see what you did there. Chief. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Next we have a great idea that comes from the O's sunglasses guy. It can be followed at O's sunglass guy. He says, I say we give Marquecas a standing O on his first at bat for finally making it to the playoffs. Scott, let me ask you, could it be a little dusty when he uh, when he comes up to bat in his first playoff game? No. No? No. 
You don't have a, a swell of emotion from Arcakis, the longest tenured Oriole, a guy who's been at the top of his game for so long and a bunch of terrible teams. And the Orioles finally make it to that precipice in 2012, and he gets his finger broken by a pitch. You, nothing? Nothing. Okay. You're when hard. he comes out for pregames and he's announced, might be a little dusty. But when he comes up for his first at bat, no, I'm going to be yelling and screaming. All right, fine, fine. You know what? This is this is dragging. Tell me a little something about pace of play. Let's pick up the pace of play. Buster Olney replates, uh, reports, and you can follow him at Buster underscore ESPN. And they'll be reportedly going to add a seventh ump to each postseason crew for replay, a model to consider for a regular season. I like that. Of all of the other things that have been brought up for pace of play, I like that. Not only do I like it for this, but I like it for the fact that it makes the game flow better. And the whole call to New York thing is just gone. You have somebody right on site that has the command authority and the view to make a decision. I think that's a great idea. I don't really see how it's going to speed anything up. I think it's just, what are you going to do? Have the umpire with a bullhorn and say, he was safe or he was out. No technical difficulties. Oh, you don't have fun. to get There's the message no from wherever you are to New York and back again. Yeah, it's really hard to you know pick up the phone and say, hey, what's going on? You don't remember the game where the New York system was down oh. and so they couldn't challenge? I, I understand that, but that's a rare situation. You don't I, think MLB would flub it that badly in the postseason? Actually, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about the postseason. We're very excited because... The Orioles are going to be facing those cats from Detroit now that the Tigers have clinched the Central. I think that it's time to get going right here, right now. All right, the moment is upon us, Baltimore. Thursday, the Baltimore Orioles open up the division series at home against the Detroit Tigers. And in order to get a scoop from behind enemy lines, we reached out to Al Beaton, co-managing editor of Bless You Boys and producers of the Bless You Boys podcast. He's been working as a Detroit blogger on the, and on the podcast scene since 2006. Al, thanks for joining us here on Bird's Eye View. And uh, I guess good luck to the Tigers, but I don't want to give you too much luck. No. <laughs> Uh, well, it's a pleasure being here, and uh, well, it, it is the Tigers' fourth straight trip to the playoffs. So, yeah, it's old hat here. Well, well, good for you. I mean, for us, we're still <laughs> we're still used to this whole aspect of oh my gosh, we're actually in the playoffs. It's a nice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, situation of saying you know we'll take this twice out of every twenty years or so. All right, man. What's yeah. it What's it like to not? worry that your team is about to embarrass you and go into another funk of 15 years of never being relevant. What What is that like? Can you describe it to us? Well, <laughs> actually, it's been pretty nice considering the team was in about a 20-some year funk after the uh, mid-80s. Uh, you know, after you know, the Tigers were one of the best teams in baseball throughout most of the 80s, won the 84 series, made it to the playoffs in 87, and then after that, it was pretty much 19 years of dead, uh, dead Tigers because they didn't make it get back to the playoffs until 2006. But since then, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty good ride. Uh, like I said, four straight playoffs, uh, missing out in 2009 thanks to a game 2003, uh, three World Series. Uh, well, yeah, yeah be, uh, uh, two World Series appearances. It's, I, you know what it is, though? It's really, it's, it, it all comes down to one thing. An, an owner who's 85 years old and wants more than anything else on this planet but to win a World Series before he dies, and he's willing to spend just about any amount of money to do so. And, you know, realistically, this is a, a team of $160 million payroll. It's been well over $100 million for the last several years. Realistically, there's no excuse for this team to not have won a World Series yet. So, if anything, it's this talk about World Series a bust. This is what it is for the Tigers right now. They struggled to get to this point this year to the playoffs. I mean, they got, stri- they got you know, since the last uh, day of the season, but – uh, this is a team that, you know, it's they, they got to win a World Series or it's not going to be a successful season. So is the mood right now uh, in Detroit, uh, you have to win? Is it a must-win meow situation? It's. Uh, it, I, I'll be honest with you. I think this team, I think the window is closing somewhat. Uh, the, the odds are good. Max Scherzer's not going to come back next year. We don't know if Victor Martinez is going to come back next year. Torrey Hunter Odds are he won't be back next year. They t- the Tigers don't have a center fielder. They, they traded Austin Jackson. 
you know, Rajay Davis, say what he is, he's not a center fielder. You know, there's uh, a lot of question marks at this team. It's going to look vastly different next year. Uh, if anything, the acquisition of David Price maybe extended that window somewhat because uh, he's likely going to be the replacement for Scherzer, obviously. You know, I'm sure he's going to get the, the contract extension offer now. But, yeah, this really is uh, a win-now team. I mean, uh, the, the, the biggest stars in this team are on the bad side of 30 now, Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera. Like I said, Martinez is 35. Torrey Hunter is pushing 40. Uh, this is not a youngish team anymore. So uh, the window is somewhat closing. Uh, yeah, I'm confident the Tigers will be able to remain competitive, mainly because they're not afraid to spend money. But uh, with this group of players, the core is aging. Yeah, this has really become World Series win or bust. I mean, uh, you got to wonder – that when does the changes come? You get you only get to the purposes so so often, and not get over it till you have to start making some serious changes. And the Tigers might be reaching that point. Well, you don't have to tell us that it only comes so often. The thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. is an owner that's dedicated to spending money to win, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I think is kind of interesting about the way the Tigers are set up. This off mm-hmm. season for the Tigers was an interesting one. The fact that there was a trade for Doug Fister. Uh, and, and Prince Fielder. Um, in, in addition, there was a change at, at manager replacing Jim Leland uh, mm-hmm. with Brad Osmus. And then, of course, uh, big offseason uh, acquisitions in the bullpen of Joe Nathan, Jobber Chamberlain, and then uh, beyond that, getting uh, Soria at the trade deadline. You know, these are changes that the Tigers have made before and during the season. Mm-hmm. And you've got to think that the Tigers, you know, if they fail, as you've mentioned, and that's the threshold, if they fail this season to reach that precipice, why wouldn't they simply just be able to go and reload again? Well, the question is, are some of these players to replace these players going to be available? Uh, if you look at the center, uh, free agent center fielders next year, we're talking Colby Rasmus. <laughs> you know, that you know, that's the, might probably be the top center fielder available, to, and the Tigers are going to be in the market for one. Uh, you know, there's uh, if anything, it, you know, Dave Dombrowski has a well-deserved reputation. You know, the Doug Fister trade, you know, set that aside, has a well-deserved reputation for being able to essentially rip off other teams with prospects or, uh, you know, and getting some primetime players in return. A bunch of this team was built that way, but Gal Cabrera being the biggest example. But the the, the issue is, one, that the, the Tigers really don't have – they never have had – a big time minor league system. There's not a lot of big time prospects that they're expecting to step up. Nick Castellanos, uh, you know, he spent his first full year in the big leagues this year, had an okay year, but is he going to be a superstar? Probably not. Uh, you know, and he's the best position prospect this team has ever brought up in the last 10, 15 years. So, Gary Sheffield actually was talking Yeah, Gary Sheffield actually was talking about him on uh, the TBS Media Day today and said that yeah. uh, Cassianos was a potential rookie of the year candidate, which kind of surprised me that he said that, but Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you got to talk it. He had a solid year and if there's about five other guys that don't have better years than maybe he is, you know, but yeah. you know, he's he's solidified a position, but uh, realistically there's not going to be much help coming from the minor leagues and free agency where the Tigers are going to need help. It's kind of barren, you know, specifically in the outfield. So uh, in the Tigers' favor, though, they do have some superstars that I think are going to bounce back. I mean, Miguel Cabrera has a down year, and that's an all-star year for pretty much every, you know, anybody else on the planet. And people are saying he's having an off year. Justin Verlander is finally uh, rolling back into shape after suffering, going through surgery at the, uh, during last offseason. Yeah, can really you stop doing that, much please? This year. I mean, yeah, I mean, I t- you guys are seem to be, you know, turning things around meow. Um, but my question mm-hmm. for this situation is, you know, for the majority of the season, it's been fairly disastrous mm-hmm. with the Tigers and the bullpen. I think that's the thing that people will come back and say the bullpen is yeah. the Achilles heel for the Tigers. Um, they're mm-hmm. 26 in bullpen, according to uh, fan graphs in terms of war. Um, mm-hmm. Has the Tigers bullpen really been as bad as the numbers tell us? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, specifically, yeah. well, one of the weird, it, 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 this tells you of one, uh, this tells you in a nutshell how bad it's been. The most runs the Tigers have given up uh, this year have been in the ninth inning uh, when it comes to their bullpen. So uh, it's, uh, Joe Nathan has really risked, has been a train wreck as the closer 
Uh, Jabba Chamberlain was lights out in the first half, train wreck in the second half. They pick up Joaquin Soria. He gets hurt, and now they can't figure out how to use him best. You know, when most people say, he's your best pitcher, why isn't mm-hmm. he pitching in the eighth or ninth inning? Uh, and the rest of the guys in the bullpen are pretty much crapshoots or flips of the coin. So the Tigers' bullpen really is a monstrous Achilles heel. You really can't say from day to day what, what you're going to get out of them. I mean, they're, right now, I think the Tigers are fearful of using their closer in back-to-back games because the numbers show he gets shelled if he pitches more in a day in a row. And that has to be concerning, too, considering that the times came out of, you know, you're going to be playing at 5.30 or 6 o'clock on Thursday night mm-hmm. and then coming back and maybe playing at noon on uh, on Friday as well. Um, let me go to mm-hmm. another pitcher that really hasn't been in the bullpen but has potential, um, mm-hmm. and that's the return meow of Annabelle Sanchez um, yeah. and going into the bullpen. Do you think Annabelle Sanchez uh, has the ability to uh, be dynamic in the bullpen during the playoffs? I hope so. If the Tigers actually use them, that's the question. Right. We don't know how Brad Ausmus is going to use Annabelle Sanchez, who could be a massive wild card when it comes to the bullpen. You know, there, there's a guy who could bring in in the sixth inning and have him close the game out. Uh, you know, I, it, the Tigers are kind of limit him somewhat because he's not stretched out. He, he, he would be in the starting rotation if not for suffering an injury in August. So, you know, at best you're probably going to get two, two innings, three innings out of him, uh, max in an outing. But the, the question is, again, when it comes to the bullpen, we don't know what his role is going to be. Is he going to be used in middle relief? Is he going to be used in setup? Uh, there's the question marks out there because I don't think Brad Ausmus knows because he couldn't figure out how to use him down the stretch. You know, here you have this, you know, a, the AL ERA leader of last year, and you can't figure out how to get him into a game. So, uh, it, yes, he could be a great wild card. I'm just not sure if I trust Brad Ausmus to use him correctly. Isn't that a great problem to have, though? Uh, oh, yeah. And let me, yeah, definitely. Let me also put it this way. There's been a lot of talk, or at least there was here in the uninformed Baltimore market, about the possibility mm-hmm. of Justin Verlander appearing in the bullpen in a short series rather than than the rotation and I, I i'm sure that's a difficult conversation in detroit but could mm-hmm. he be an effective reliever in an alds situation uh, that would have i think was if the chances hasn't gotten hurt that would have been a very likely situation uh and if you look at the, at the numbers that would have made perfect sense just he out of the starting rotation numbers he's had the worst season and again, with Verlander, it really seemed to be an issue with his stamina. He looks—he would look solid for short stretches, you know, three, four innings. The wheels would start to come off in the fifth or sixth inning. Just it, it, the stamina, stamina just wasn't there. So, could he be used in that situation? I think he would be—he would be—he could be very good in that situation. What it used to be, you know, he, his last few starts, he's been able to place it, but it's only hitting 95, 96. And he's, not, he's not touching 100 miles an hour anymore. So. Right now, though, over the past uh, last two, three weeks, he's been one of the Tigers' best starters. He's been far better than Rick Porcello, for example. So, you know, as we wrote on Bullshit Boy today, we really think that Verlander's going to be the Tigers' number three starter in the rotation just because Porcello's been that bad in September. Um, so, Jake, we've talked plenty about pitching now. I'd like to move um, out to, uh, you know, batting. Um, you know, we could talk about how good Miguel Cabrera has been. We can talk about how great mm-hmm. Victor Martinez has been in terms of his K percentage. But i really like to talk about a surprise player for the Tigers, and it has to be J.D. Martinez. If you look at his numbers, his production has been similar to what Prince Fielder put up for the Tigers in 2012 mm-hmm. and in 2013 in the lineup. Can you tell us how the Tigers came across him and why he has been so good this year? Well, uh, a couple things. Well, one, first off, they picked him up at the end of spring training when the Astros of all teams just thought, we just don't have a use for this guy. Even though uh, he has a good pedigree, his minor league career was very, very good. And he had a, 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 sol- a solid se- full season uh, with the Astros. Nothing like he did this year, but there was some potential there. And obviously the Tigers, with Andy Dirks ultimately missing the season because of back surgery, uh, the Tigers needed an extra corner outfielder. He became available. Somehow he managed to slide all the way to the Tigers where they picked him up on waivers. And he absolutely went nuts at AAA Toledo. He had, uh, I think, 10 home runs and 22 at-bats, something ridiculous like that. He essentially forced the Tigers to call him up just because he was hitting so damn well at AAA. Uh, he's come up, and, and there's been a couple stretches where he's slumped like any batter, but for the most part, he's become the Tigers' Uh, at times, best hitter. Uh, 
uh, it, it's and a lot of it comes down to uh, he has uh, he's changed his approach at the plate. Uh, he's made some ch- uh, changes to his batting stance. He's a little more patient than he used to be, and he's uh, uh, he's he's tends to use uh, go to the opposite field a little bit more. He's just essentially just become a much better hitter, and and he's been kind of taken under the wing of two very professional hitters in Cabrera and Mart and and Victor Martinez, and that's it's. it's no one saw. I'll just say this: No one saw this coming. And if and if he doesn't come, out, if he doesn't explode the way he does, you have to wonder if the Tigers are even in this position right now. Because there were times where he actually carried the offense. And in September, his numbers were comparable to Miguel Cabrera's. That's how good he was in September. It's uh, at this point he's done it long enough. I don't think it's a mirage at this point. I just think it's a guy who reached a certain point of his career. Figured and it clicked for him. He figured things out, and he just absolutely took off. And it's been it's been a pleasure to watch him, but it's also been a very very lucky break for the Tigers. Yeah, we've had a similar player in Baltimore with Steve Pierce, and you know, was a player that was going to be designated for assignment, and then comes back when Chris Davis mm-hmm. gets injured early in the year. So, seeing the uh, you know resurgence of JD Martinez this year and comparing it to Steve Pierce, you know, there are two players that at the beginning of this year. No projection system in the world would have said these guys are going to have the years that they have, but easily they could exactly. be looked at and said these are these are valuable players for these teams, and they could also be most valuable players in terms of, like you said, where would these teams be without those players? Would they be you know in the playoffs at all without those kind of players? Mm-hmm. Jake, did you have a question, Meow? Yeah, the thing is, is that uh, you talked about Scott. You talked about uh, Steve Pierce stacking in for Chris Davis, and that that reminded me of uh, Rajai Davis. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to ask, first of all, can you just set us straight? What the heck is grade one pubic symphysis sprain? What what is that? <laughs> you know, uh, when that went down, uh, it, it essentially was like, did he? Uh, it wasn't a groin strain. What the hell? Essentially, it's a. Uh, it's a cartilage slash kind of muscle that holds the, the, uh, the, it's, <laughs> see, that's how hard it is to explain. You know, I hate to be kind of graphic, but it's, Oh it's no, no, don't worry. Nobody's have. listening to this. You don't have it's to worry the sort about of injury. It. You would, yeah, it's the sort of injury you would get if you're having sex and, uh, <laughs> and it, there it, it is folks. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a muscle cartilage type thing. That's in the, in the, in the middle of the pelvic area that kind of holds the pelvis together. And re- really, if you usually, from everything we've read about it, it's the sort of injury you get when you, you know, trust the wrong way. <laughs> that moment, right meow, might have been the uh, best moment ever on this podcast. Was if you thrust the wrong way, you could throw out something. <laughs> Al, Al, I want you to tell you when I wrote up this question, I could not have predicted an answer quite that perfect. <laughs> Let me. Uh, hey, my pleasure. Glad to uh, go up and do any annals here. <laughs> oh, careful, careful. Yeah, so we go from the pubic to the annals. Okay. <laughs> Let, let me uh, let me let me gracefully move as quickly as I can from that between uh, there and meow. Uh, here in Baltimore, we've uh, been dismissed because the AL East is is quote unquote down, which is code for you know the Yankees and Red Sox aren't going to make the playoffs. But the Tigers went thirteen and six against the Kansas City Royals, who are the number one AL wild card team. Does this make the Tigers in some way battle tested to some extent coming into the playoffs? Uh, you could say that, and I think. Uh, the, one of the reasons why they ended up winning the division again is just because you know it, they've been there, done that, and they and they've had to had some late season surges to make the playoffs in the last few years. But keep in mind though, even though the, the one reason the Tigers have been able to dominate the Central is that they've usually for some reason been able to absolutely crush the second place team. Uh, they did it to the Indians last year. They did it to the Royals this year. Because keep in mind the Tigers played. 500 to under 500 ball against the White Sox and Twins this year. Uh, I mean, the Twins and uh, ended up, I believe the Twins ended up winning the season series, for example. So uh, that's that's what's what probably the most frustrating thing about this team is that they can look like world beaters one night and then scuffle along for weeks at a time. Yeah. So yeah, are they battle tested? Yeah. So that really does play into their being favored to make it out of a short series. I mean, if you look at the Vegas odds, yeah, the Tigers are favored over the Orioles right now. And uh, yeah, I guess, as they say, experience really shows, it means a lot when you get to this time. And when you get to this time of year, it's something I guess a lot of the Orioles just haven't experienced yet. But then again, the Tigers weren't experienced either back in 2006 
when it, pretty much when this run started, and they made it all the way to the World Series. So it's realistically, I tend to find that you know, I, I don't really buy into it. I really just find that whoever, whichever team just seems to get hot, gets the best pitching, um, is going to move on through. And looking at the Royal staff, I mean, not me at the Orioles staff, you guys have a pretty darn good chance of beating the Tigers team. Well, you, you've opened up the door, so yeah, I'm going to walk through it. Let's let's do this. Um, mm-hmm. Scott and I talk about this every week, and we, you know we talk about how great the Orioles are in some pl- parts and and terrible they are in other parts. Oftentimes, let, the terrible part. <laughs> let, let me ask you to do this. Why don't you give me a couple of reasons that you're terrified of playing the Orioles in the ALDS, and a couple of reasons that you're confident that you're going to destroy the Orioles in the ALDS, and it'll probably wash out somewhere in between. But tell mm-hmm. me, when you look at that matchup, what worries you, and what makes you feel confident? All right. Well, uh, let's see. One worry, obviously, the starting rotation. It's a, it's. I don't know. It's probably not as top heavy as the Tigers is. You know, with three side young winners, but it's damn, damn good. And you've had some very, very good years out of that rotation. So, of course, there's that. Uh, another thing of fear is, well, uh, the Tigers' penchant for uh, coming up flat in big games. There is no reason why this um, – uh, there is no reason why the division ended up being strung out as long as it did where they had to win it on the last damn day of the season. Uh, the Orioles are going to be ready, prepared. You know, say what you will about uh, – you know, not having time off, you know, having to play right up to the end and, you know, keeping the adrenaline going, so to speak. It says a lot that the Orioles have has had this under lock and key for so long. The Orioles can have their lineup set to go. They can have their pitching set up just so. Uh, that means a lot when you get into a playoff situation. So when you factor, obviously, the pitching, and then you factor in that, you have home field advantage, and you also have been able to get the lineup set just how you want it to go right into the playoffs. Uh, I, 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 those are things I fear. And let's, and I also say this, I will probably also give you guys an managerial advantage as well because I'm still not bought into Brad Osmus when it comes to an X's and O's guy. He's made some very questionable decisions this year. So I would also give the Orioles the advantage in manager. When it comes to why the Tigers can win, well, Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> for one, I've heard he of him. Is, uh, yeah, he is essentially he's if, if he was as healthy as he is now and playing the way he is now, the Tigers win the World Series last year. He's been that good at the plate. So a good uh, if Miguel Cabrera is Miguel Cabrera, he can care, he can put the team on his shoulders and just walk a, walk this team right to the World Series. And the other thing I like is that well, any team that can throw Max Scherzer or David Price at you. You know, in a game five or something like that, uh, I'd be willing to bet on that team. Like I said, the Tigers are very top-heavy, but this is the time of year when top-heavy can kind of pay off. You expect those guys to step up. And if I could add one more thing, is that as much as as much as I said, yeah, I fear you guys have in home field, the Tigers have played pretty darn well on the road this year. So, there, you know, there's – if, this is why I really think, even though Vegas has the Tigers favored, I really do find the series a toss-up. And if I was going to bet on it, I still think I'd bet on the Orioles just because they've been far more consistent this year than the Tigers. Well, if you could do us a favor and you could spread that word as far out in Detroit as you can, <laughs> we'd really appreciate that. And while we're busy uh, appreciating you, I, I just, again, want to thank you for coming on and for doing this. And for all of our listeners who want to uh, find uh, a way to read about the matchup coming up with the Tigers and also learn something about pubic synthesis, uh, can you let us know what your website is? Of course. Uh, blessyouboys.com, uh, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. Also, be on the lookout for our podcast, the uh, obviously, the obviously named <laughs> Bless You Boys podcast as well. And we're on Twitter at Bless You Boys. And, of course, we're on Facebook as well. Just search for Bless You Boys on Facebook. All right, Al. Well, like I said, I guess we'll wish you good luck, but we're not going to wish you too much luck. So <laughs> I'll say the same. All right. Thanks for talking to us, Al. Thank you. Meow.
Jake, as we did so well with our predictions at the beginning of the season. No, we didn't. I say we break our predictions for the break out our predictions for the postseason for the Orioles and who will claim the championship at the end. Jake, there was an interesting article on Fangraphs today um, detailing out the World Series odds per the Zip slash Steamer projections early put out this season. Um, and then also the year-to-date numbers. And I'm just going to go through them really quickly. The Orioles, based on the projection models um, from earlier this season, were, well, they were actually below pretty much all the wildcard teams except for, well, the Athletics were the only wildcard team above them. But they only have an 8% chance of winning the World Series. Every single other division winner is higher than them, including the Athletics, who's a wildcard team. They're lumped right in there with the Royals, Pirates, and Giants as being... Eh, how did these guys get here? Now, this is according to Zips and Steamers, correct? From the projections that were earlier this year, so multiple years, yes. Okay. And then there's the season-to-date numbers where the Orioles have a 17% chance to win the World Series, and they're ranked second right behind the Nationals at 18%. So these are the revised projections, if you will. These are the revised projections, but again, only using one year's worth of data, not multiple years' worth of data. Let me ask you, on, and this is a there's a question because I'm dumb. Okay. What's the value of going back and looking at previous years for a team that is constructed anew each year? And what is the value of looking strictly at only the things that have taken place in the last 162 games between the two systems? What are the strengths and weaknesses of each? Well, the strengths of one would be, you know, if you're taking multiple years, you're taking a look at it and saying, okay, that player, obviously, even though he hasn't been doing great uh, throughout the entire season, he has the possibility and talent level to rise up in the playoffs and be really, really good. Um, it's not just one year this is occurring and just being a small sample size, you have multiple years of being dominant. A Justin Verlander, for example, who may not be having the best of years in terms of his numbers throughout the season, has the ability talent-wise to turn it on in the World Series or in the playoffs and be dominant force. Where Steve Pierce, for example doesn't really have the track record, so he's not going to be weighed as heavily in terms of being the dominant force in the playoffs. Will you forgive me for a second? Sure. That does not sound incredibly scientific. Um, look, I'm going to come back and say I'm not very happy with that notion of let's throw out the season-to-date numbers because we're going to go with historical numbers and we're going to ignore this year. That seems like... I don't have an issue with it as long as there's numbers that back it up. And I have a really big issue with saying, um, you know, the season to date numbers are not the most accurate numbers, which in the article Dave Cameron did try to point out, which it bothered me. All right. Here's the thing, because I, I did read the I, I know I did read the Fangraphs article yeah. before you you brought it up. And, and here's the thing that that gets me about that. I get the fact that Steve Pierce doesn't have any kind of track record. And we're using Steve Pierce as the example because it's one we can all cling to. But Steve Pierce is not the Steve Pierce of 2012. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're different players. Or 2013. Right or 2013. Yeah. Right. In the same way that when you look at the Oakland Athletics, they are, they are statistically one of the best teams in Major League Baseball when you take the on fire pace that they had earlier in the season and then take all the drag of the awful limping through the gates that they did at the end of the season, and and you just mush it all together, and you say, wow, that's a really good club. And yeah, they had a really good portion. They also had a really terrible portion of the season, mm-hmm. which just happens to be the most recent. You know, do, do, do the Oakland Athletics have the talent to put together a playoff run? Sure. Absolutely. But I don't want to say that this Oakland Athletics Club is the same one that was dominant before the, the All-Star break because they're not the same. Sure. They just aren't. This comes back to the whole thing of, yes, on paper, they look like they're the best team. But the question is, have they been producing like they should have been on paper? Um, I'm going to come back to the 2013 Toronto Blue Jays. Coming out of the gate, everyone said that is going to be a team that's going to be in the playoffs and it's going to be a major competitor. Um, and on paper, I think all of us agreed that the Blue Jays are going to be a really good team, but they never came out and injuries derailed them. I think it's really hard for me to come back and take a look at Dave Cameron's analysis and say we have to go with the Zips and Steamers analysis for multiple years as opposed to just a one-year analysis. I think it's a combination of both. Well, look, these guys have only their pride on the line and only that. But people who have a lot more on the line have a really good reputation. You know where I'm going with this. Yes, you're going with the degenerates, the gamblers, the bookies, 
the Vegas odds. You leave Jabby out of this. Yes, Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, Jabby. Um, the Vegas numbers um, are really interesting. The Orioles have a 13% chance to win the World Series. They are slightly below the Detroit Tigers at 14%, like we talked about in our previous interview. Um, but everyone is very close. You've got the Angels and the Dodgers both at 17%, the Nationals at 15%, Detroit at 14 Baltimore at 13 St. Louis at 11 and then you've got the wildcard teams all between 8 to 6 to 8%. So it's a very narrow gap. And considering that last year the Boston Red Sox were 4-1 to one odds to win the World Series, um, there's a lot more spread out here, or uh, there's a lot more tight grouping here of um, the Vegas odds compared to previous years. Right, what I'm looking at here are squiggly numbers that frighten me, but basically it just comes to this. It's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Vegas does not have a clear set of winners, and there's not a huge difference between the the cream of the crop and the middle of the pack. Is that is that a fair assessment? I think that's a fair assessment, and it also tells me that Vegas is not just picking the um, picking saying this is the team that's going to win. But they're not exactly sure where the money is going to go as well. So they're not pushing people one way or the other as well. So um, it's definitely a very interesting scenario to take a look at the numbers and just see that, you know, like everyone has said, this playoff race is wide open for anybody to compete. So, Jake, I think if anybody is willing to make some awkward predictions, it's us here. So, Jake, let's go through our awkward predictions for the Orioles. Um, who's going to be AL champions, who's going to be NL champions, who's going to be that World Series champion. So, right. Jake... Can, can we start in the NL so that we work our way up? Sure. We want to build. Sure. So let's go to the National League champions. Jake, who is going to be your National League champion? I um, I have a real toss-up here. Look, I, I think the Giants are going to come out of the wild card. I think they're going to play the Nationals, and the Na- Nationals are going to advance. I think that the Tigers are going to surprise the Dodgers, and they're going to advance. And so you're going to have an NL... The Tigers are going to surprise the Dodgers? No, the Cardinals. Okay, thank you. The Cardinals are going to advance and surprise the Dodgers. So you're going to have a, uh, a an NLCS, which is uh, basically the, the Nationals and the Cardinals. In that scenario, I hate to do it. I'm going to pick the Nationals. Okay, so you're going with the Nationals as your National League champions. They're not my National League champions, but they are who I, I think that they will win okay. the National League. Uh, I'm going to go with the LA Dodgers as the NL champions. I don't see how you get past Clayton Kershaw in a seven-game series. Oh, can he pitch all seven games? Yeah, well, oh. he can pitch all seven games, but he can pitch three of those seven games. And, um, well, let's just say that entire team is hot right now. Adrian Gonzalez is hot right now. Um, Yasiel Puig is, you know, I know you have issues with him, but he is a talent. I'm good with Yasiel. Yeah, I, and, you know, that, that, that team just is, I believe, playing really well right now. Better than any team right now, maybe in Major League Baseball. All right. So I'm going with the National League Dodgers uh, for my champions and uh, to have Vin Scully call it during the World Series. Oh, see, that's what's going on here. I, I think that your your strict analysis may be colored Dodger blue. There. Yeah, it might be a little colored. Um, okay, Jake, we've gone to the National League. Let's go back to the American League. All right. Let's start with the Orioles. Where do you see the Orioles? Um, here's the thing. If they can get through Detroit, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any reason they can't go to the World Series. Okay. The question is, can they get through Detroit? Okay. This is the series I, I really feel it is the hardest matchup. The Angels do not scare me, and I think that's going to be the other end of the bracket. Um, I, let me say that if the Orioles get bounced out of the ALDS, my heart will break into a billion pieces. Okay. Like a billion with a B. Billion it with a B. will be days of Just crying. dust tearing my clothes, wailing in the wilderness. Yeah, I think the Orioles beat the uh, beat the Tigers and go on to play the Nationals in the World Series. Wow. Homer. Homer. Um, okay. Jake, the uh, Orioles are going to lose to the Tigers in the American League Division Series in five games. There's going to be a heartbreaking game in Camden Yards um, where the Orioles lose in, in game five. Um the Tigers go and play the Angels, which I agree with you. I believe the Tigers go and beat the Angels, and I believe that the Tigers and the Dodgers play off in the World Series. And I'm calling Dodger Blue World Series champions. That's interesting. Let's just say that I, I didn't pick the O's. I would pick the Angels to beat the the Tigers and go on to lose to whichever team, either the Dodgers or the Nationals, in the World Series. That's that's interesting that you went there. Let me let me ask you this. You say that the the Tigers Orioles series is going to go five games. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that you think it's as up in the air as Al uh, Beaton did earlier in the episode? I really do. Um, I actually think that um, the first two games are actually going to be a split. 
Um, so I think that we're going to lose one at home. Um, but I think we're going to go out to, to Detroit, and I think we're going to win one of those games. So I think it's going to be a split home and away. Um, and I think we come back for the pivotal Game 5. And honestly, Game 5 is a complete toss-up. But if I'm going Game 5 and it's Max Scherzer versus Chris Tillman, I'm going to come back to Game 5 of ALDS 2012. And it really comes down to how important having an ace on this team is. And yes, Chris Tillman is really good, but he doesn't compare to Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer gets my nod, and so do the Tigers to go ahead through the playoffs. All right, that that is fair analysis. I will I will certainly give you that. Um, the 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 one thing I I would add to that is, you know, the Orioles slumped after they clinched. Mm-hmm. Okay, they did not play as well as they had after they clinched. Are you in any way concerned about the way the Orioles finished the season, or do you think that they're literally going to get things fired right back up the way they were when things were going well in the postseason? It's going to be hot. Okay. They're so going to be perfectly fine. I, I got to be honest. I started to feel blue, and then I was like, you know what? It, I if- had multiple people contact me this week about this and being like, do you think the Orioles going to be okay? And I have no doubt in my mind that this team is going to be fired up. If you don't think that Adam Jones and Nelson Cruz and Nick Markakis and Buckshot Walter are not going to fire these guys up and be ready to go, you don't know this team. I'm sorry. You have not been watching Orioles baseball for this entire season and just seeing how resilient this team is able to come back in terms of adversity you know let's come back to that wrigley field series where they lost three in a row people were calling saying oh, that's the end of it you know we're going to start slumping now this team does not quit this is a special team and this team is you know a once in a lifetime team in terms of how resilient and magical they are i just think that you know the tigers may just be a little bit better <laughs> i love that this long spiel about how magical they are and they're going to get sorry. bounced in the alds I, again i'm going to come back to talent wise i just think the tigers have a little bit more talent but if you're just going to go from a magical season standpoint and going through those season to date numbers, the Orioles are leaps and bounds above that. I just think that in one game, Max Scherzer versus Chris Tillman, my money is on the Tigers. All right. I, I disagree, but I respect, and, and frankly, you could be right. I mean, I, I think it's a coin flip. I think it's a 50 50 coin flip, but I like my money is still going to be on the Tigers. All right. Well, that was a very good analysis, Scott. But I, now I think we need to go and do beyond good. We need to do good. We need to do bad. And beyond that, sir, we need to do ugly. That's right, Jake. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to start this week. I'm going to go with my good. My good for this week is going to be Nick Markakis, who has started hitting line drives again going into the playoffs. 26.3% line drive this week in 26 plane appearances. A great sign for the leadoff header entering into his first playoff experience. It's exactly what the Orioles need to see Nick Markakis doing is hitting those line drives. I wish I could argue with you, but you're spot on, and I... I have nothing to go on there. My good for this week is going to be Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz uh, was 8 for 22. He had a home run. He drove in a couple of runs. The thing that I'm excited about with Nelson Cruz is that his strikeouts are down. He only struck out twice this week, and he's starting to use all fields. And while he still possesses that power that makes you respect him as a home run threat, he's also starting to poke balls in the right field more frequently. And it's something that we really, I, I think if he's going to be creating runs, it, it, it's just bodes well for him to not be an all-or-nothing guy in the playoffs. So this is the right time for him to be a complete hitter. All right, Jake, my bad for this week is going to go to fringe bullpen arms, and this comes to Brad Brock, Ryan Reb, and Evan Meek, who all had truly awful weeks. None of them stood out as being that pitcher that could come in during the sixth inning during the playoffs if things got rough. I'm not sure who the Orioles are going to turn to, but besides Tommy Hunter, who has been really great as of late and has been having a great second half, but I was really hoping that Ryan Webb or Brad Rock could really well establish himself after the Orioles clinched, and neither one of them have had a really good performance. Having to make, I'm just going to throw to the trash pile because, again, I'm not too surprised by him. All right, I hear you there. My bad this week is going to go to Jonathan Scope. You know, all this conversation about other infielders. Look, two hits and ten at-bats, his playing time has been reduced. You had Kelly Johnson at second base because Jonathan Scope is in such 
uh, a slump, Jonathan Scope needs to turn it on just like everybody else because we can't have this big hole at second base offensively. What did he do on Sunday? Yeah, I think he hit a dong. Um, all right, my ugly for the week is going to go to... Hey, we're nitpicking on a team that won 96 games. Yeah. Go ahead. My ugly for the week is going to go to Baltimore fans thinking the Orioles gave Thursday night away to the Yankees. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, the Orioles didn't give away and say, oh, we're going to let Jeter win this game. Um, the Orioles just didn't play a very good game. They played a sloppy game, and it was very uncharacteristic. Um, it's as simple as that. Buck also was resting several bullpen members. If Buck really cared about that game and it was a playoff atmosphere, there's no question that O'Day, Miller, and Burton would have been val- available. Um, but Buck didn't want to make them available. So look at the bullpen arms he trotted out there. There's no way that Evan Meek is going to be you know, on this playoff rotation. Simple as that. All right, I I will not go as far as to say that that it was a, a grooved fastball so that Jeter could play the hero. Look, I don't buy into that conspiracy theory stuff. Let me simply ask this. Mm-hmm. If Buck Showalter was managing to win that game in that situation, would he or would he not have walked Derek Jeter to set up the double play? No. Okay. He, he's not hitting against Evan Meeks, so why would you walk him? Um, Because you have the winning run on second base and one out. Congratulations. Who's coming up after to uh, after Jeter? Heart of the order. Okay. I look, I again, I'm not saying that it was I'm not saying that it was done it, it, for any other reason. I just Hey, can I, I you, can I ask you a question? Please. Who cares? No. No. You know what? And that's the, that's the other thing. It was a great moment for yeah. baseball. It it really was. If you're a baseball romantic, you've got to be like, okay, that's a nice little story. And I think that uh, Alan, <laughs> Sam, not so much, but Alan on this week's Baltimoreans uh, really put it in perspective. You know, he is their Cal Ripken for a lot of Yankees fans who live in the New York area who are not turncoats. For Yankees fans from New York, this is a hometown guy that they grew up rooting for, and it was 20 years of excellence of a Hall of Fame career wrapped up into one last little gift. Mm -hmm. How great is that? Yeah. All right, Jake, what's your ugly? My ugly is third base. Okay, yeah, absolutely. My ugly is third base, and I'm not singling anybody out except for for this. How mad was Buck Showalter at Jimmy Paredes for the error situation? This is how mad he was. Alexi Casilla played third base for the Baltimore Orioles. Oof. Third base is in such a state that Alexi Casilla was brought back to the organization in meaningless games. It's pretty bad. And a 40-man roster spot was made for him. <laughs> third base has to get better in the playoffs. It has to. Who's your third baseman in the playoffs? Ryan Flaherty. Yeah, I, I got to go with Hands down. Hands down. Um, coming back to the one error that Ryan Flaherty made earlier during the Boston series, um, he, he short-armed it a little bit. But in all honesty, Christian Walker should have caught that ball. Um, if Steve Hurst is over there, he catches that ball. Yes, Chris Ryan, David. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, Ryan Flaherty has had some weird plays at third base, but Ryan Flaherty is my third baseman he's going solid. into the playoffs. Absolutely. He's solid. And also, he's been hitting pretty well lately. So, Ryan Flaherty, he's going to be an X-Factor at third base. Uh, good luck to him. All right, Jake. Um, with that, let's blow the save. Go ahead, Jake. I need to ask you a question. Okay. Why is this so hard? I bet you heard that all the time in college. I did. <laughs> Actually, I did not. Why is this so hard, Scott? Am I, what am I missing that is so difficult in coming up with a schedule for the ALDS? Now, it was just recently uh, released. Today, this afternoon, it was released, the Times for the ALDS. What? What is this? What do you mean? Goodbye. You're terrible. Oh, you're awful. You're a terrible human being. Am I doing this? Fine. Look, I realize that networks don't know the time zones that the teams that are going to appear in in the games will be in. I get that. and That's fine. But what does it matter? The, The networks are going to put some of these games where they want to get the most eyes, right? That's why they're putting a game at 12 o'clock on a, on a work day. If they're going to give away a time slot where nobody's going to watch the game nationally anyway, what does it matter when it gets released? Especially in a year in which big market teams aren't there. The Yankees and the Red Sox on the East Coast are not there, and you're certainly not going to have an afternoon game with the AL or the NL West Coast winners. They dragged their feet through this for no reason. Do you have any idea how difficult a time I had getting off work on Friday because there's going to be an afternoon game, I think? 
Come on. TBS, you botched this. Major League Baseball, you botched this. And frankly, I want my pound of flesh. Um, this is totally irrational because there's no excuse for this. But listen. Jake, if you fall, I will catch you. Time after time. Jake, I, honestly, that's a terrible gripe. Anybody that has an issue with the times, go back historically and take a look at it. This shouldn't be surprising to you. In fact, I would warn people, if we get to the ALCS, there's a good chance that we're going to have four o'clock games as well. You're going to have to get used to it. This is October baseball. Take some time off. I'm fine. These are what vacations were. I know you're okay with this. I'm fine with four o'clock, but one o'clock and 12 o'clock on a work day is ridiculous. A little ridiculous. But again, this is just like opening day. Do we have an issue with taking off during the day for opening day? They announced that months in advance. It doesn't matter. This is a religious holiday. You just go to your boss and say... Sorry, taking off. And he says, like, oh, I'm sorry. You can't take off. You're just like, all right, then I'm calling. I'm, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to, you know, might have to call in sick with one of my sick days. I've come down with a case of the magics. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Baltimore Orioles fans, suck it up. Take your vacation day. Take your sick day. We'll see you at the park on Friday. Get over it. And look, even if you're not going to be at Camden Yards, take the day off and watch the game. Watch the game at a bar. Watch the game at home with your friends. Be in the city. This yeah. is going to be a magical playoff run. Embrace it. Yeah. So I guess with that, Jake, um, well, I guess it's time to start closing things out. I will bid you all. Well, well, we're not we're not ready to do that yet. I mean, let, let's let's talk about you know what what's going on for the rest of this week. Okay. I know you just want to get right to the conclusion, but Jake, we're going to be there for ALDS game number one. We will. And ALDS game number two. We will. Um, will we be drinking during ALDS game one and game two? It's possible. Okay. I think I'm actually going to go to the pregame at Noble's Bar, and it's being hosted by Be More Around Town for Game 2. So Friday, if the game is at 12 o'clock, the pregame is going to start at 8 o'clock. That gives me four hours worth of drinking, eating, and just, you know, conversing with Orioles fans. So I'll see everyone at Noble's Tavern through Be More Around Town before game two at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be a little tired of the party because somebody has to work for a living. All right. Now say goodbye. I do, I do. Good night, Baltimore, and good luck, Orioles. Meow. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.